This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. Come to you, as always, from deep within the Outer Rim, far beyond the watchful eyes of the Galactic Empire. My name is John Mark Tolley, and joining me, as always, from this time, live from just outside Batu. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It is Will, a.k.a. Darth Tuba. How are you today, sir? I'm fine. Fine. Extremely, extreme, quite intense, bright suns to everyone out there. Because in Florida, or a.k.a. Batu East, it is really, really hot. <laughs> And uh really, really, really toasty. But uh it's been it's been wonderful. It's been a nice uh nice start to our trip and uh we're really enjoying it. So uh yes, here we are and uh yeah. looking forward to our conversation, our topic tonight. Yes. So uh we talked recently about the sale of Lucasfilm to Disney. And we talked about what all all entailed. And some of the stuff that has come because of that. Today, I want to take that conversation a little bit differently and look and ask a question. Did, did George, in order for Star Wars to thrive, I, I don't want to use the word succeed or continue because I think there always, there's always going to be Fans of Star Wars always going to be fans of Star Wars, but in order for it to thrive and to grow, did Lucas need to sell? Was that something that needed to happen? You know, because sometimes a a creator of something can take it so far, and then it needs. You know, I use the example. Uh, I'll use the example of Star Trek. Uh, um, just thinking that <laughs> because a lot of people will say that it wasn't until what is his name, creator of Star Trek. Gene Rod. Roddenberry. Roddenberry passed that Star Trek really hit its zenith because then it wasn't under that the tight control of what Star Trek should be. Well, all right. Because some, of Yeah, some things that I and I was a big follower of um of, of Star Trek or not as much now. I mean I still do watch some of the shows kind of it's it's star trek has become like star wars there's a lot of uh different types of series and movies and and, yeah. and media for you for people to take in so you can choose where to you know pick off the shelf and whatnot what to leave on the shelf what what i had read and you know studied up upon when it came to gene roddenberry is that you know he was as he was aging um you know remember uh, you know he created star trek the original series he was about to do a sequel series and then they kind of flipped, switched gears with Paramount and became the movies. Mm-hmm. And obviously there were different directors that came in for the movies and some of them, some of them did a really good job of really pushing the Star Trek genre forward and others kind of, let's just say didn't. <laughs> then Roddenberry produced the second uh, series, the, the next generation. Jean-Luc Picard, Data, Riker, and the rest. And it, there was a lot of success with that series. However, much of it was not at first. There was a lot of interesting stuff going on behind the scenes. It's actually a really great uh, documentary kind of hosted by William Shatner, of all people. 
all about the next generation and the kind of um, turmoil was going on behind the scene. But I know this is a Star Wars podcast, but this kind of just go with me here for a minute. Right. Um, it the thing about Gene Roddenberry was that uh, as he was aging, as he was getting into the the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, there was um, this is kind of the first time that there was this you know this overall kind of love and support for who he was. And he had this kind of nickname called the great bird of the galaxy. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, a takeoff from a line. I think Sulu says to some, to, to a or something in one of the class in the, one of the episodes. And, you know, it became this kind of like, he kind of got this almost like idol status from fans mm-hmm. and, and almost like quasi religious, which I think that's, you know, I think that's something that happens with people who are, who create and world build and are the ones that kind of started the ball rolling, even though it's yeah. been since that well, time. Well, Lucas has kind of had the same thing. They call, I mean, people refer to him as a creator. Right. But here's where the, the maker, here, the maker, here's where the, the paths kind of, you know, go in different places. In the case of Roddenberry, he lived long enough and had full, I wouldn't say full control, but enough control. And, and the way he was, he started believing his own press. He started mm-hmm. believing his own fandom. And I think he had this kind of reports are, I don't know about how I feel, but reports are that he had this kind of like godlike uh, way of, of, of thinking and, and the way of, of, you know, of things being and how the future was going to be and everything. And when all these other writers would come in and they go, well, we want to tell this story, say, no can't tell this story because in the future everything will be like this and it was like the bible and you could never get yeah. away from that yeah, talk yeah. About it. no and, no um no inner 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 right. uh ship uh tr- turmoil, turmoil you couldn't have like that yeah right. so so he got you know and so that if you watch the first season of next generation was by far very strange there was a lot of weird stuff going on in that series some good stuff too but yeah. there was some weird strange kind of head scratching kind of like hmm so and i think roddenberry was kind of responsible for that so i think that there were the powers that be now unlike lucas he would did not he did not have full control he did have to kind of you know paramount desi lu everybody had a little piece of it and he had to negotiate with different people and different things and uh he, he didn't always get his way and he kind of cried about it a lot and you know, as a result, uh, I think when he went out, I mean, it was sad. He was sick and he had mm. a lot of health issues that got worse and worse. And then eventually, you know, he passed away and, you know, everybody honored him. They dedicated, you know, the unification episodes where Spock made an appearance yes. and when he died. And that tied into the movie, the next, uh, Undiscovered Country, again, dedicated to Gene Roddenberry. Beyond that, uh, it, yes, it did start to flourish with more series and movie movie reboots and everything else. So it is interesting to use the rod and bear. In fact, I don't really think you can use another. No, yeah, uh, I don't think there is another because there's no one like maybe Stanley with Marvel. Maybe, but even then there were so many other artists and creators. Yeah, there's yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was the creator, but he didn't, you know, yeah, there's no one in that in the, the medium of television or movies that you can have a parallel between between Gene Roddenberry and George Lucas. Not necessarily similar in 
their outlooks, but just similar in they're both in a medium that's on a screen. You know, one 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 was mainly small screen, the other one was mainly mainly for years big screen. But still, there's that, and also this idea of the fandoms both deifying both of these men to a certain extent. Right. Well, you know, I think that uh, you know, in, in George Lucas's case, where things are a little different, is that you got to remember that in the case of George Lucas, you know, the first six movies were independent films. People, yeah. People forget that. You know, people forget that they, they just see, you know, the, the, the huge marquee and released in, you know, 5,000 theaters and, you know, the huge marketing campaign, but they're essentially independent movies. George funded yeah. them. He had his yeah. budget, he, you know, and he found that, no, first, the first movie was the hardest to fund because he had to go around, you know, put basically everything he owned, thank all the money he made on American graffiti and, you know, he, he forgoed all the, you know, he wrote all of the um, points and everything that he could get as a director and took the most minimal salary he could take, but he wanted to have the rights to the sequels and he wanted to have the merchandising rights. And that is what he was able to use to sell the movie. But that's also what he used, what he made money with. But he was always a person that put money back into everything he did. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, I, and I'm telling you, man, Disney Plus, please. Give me a dramatic series, doc, a dramatic documentary, like a, like a, like an actual, like a biopic about the making of Star Wars. Please, oh, yeah. please. That would be, that would be awesome. Us, Saving Mr. Banks was a beautiful story about the making of Mary Poppins. And, and, and I believe that there is an amazing story that can be told. Oh. Not just about making of Star Wars, but Star Wars Empire Jedi. So anybody, yeah. anybody who's out there at Disney, well, Disney. I mean, I'm in Disney World. I don't think there's people close close enough here to hear, that'll hear me. But <laughs> wrong, wrong hey. um, one thing, one thing I want to go back to because I think another separation between uh, Lucas and Roddenberry is Lucas was around long enough to have at least a, a, a some of the fan. I wouldn't say turn him turn against him, but start to question him. I, I, Roddenberry never really got that, you know. Well, he he passed away before, and he also he also was around during a time when you didn't necessarily have the internet and all this stuff. So I think that's um, really more. Yeah, yeah. That, so I mean, they you know that's one thing that I think Roddenberry kind of avoided was he avoided or li- say, at least living through the the, the negative press, the not necessarily the negative press, but the negative response from fan from fan if, from fans. If the internet existed. 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier. Whereas, yeah. you know, there would have been internet buzz on, of course, you know, that would have made Star Wars a very different journey too. But, you know, every Star Trek movie, motion picture, you know, would have gotten a lot of the fan planning. And then the, the, uh, Wrath of Khan would have been considered and touted the best movie ever. And then Star Trek three would have been really panned and four would have been, eh, okay, hit or miss. Yeah, it's a very different world. But yeah, George had said on the record that he made the movie he wanted to make when it came to the prequels. He made the movie he wanted to make. And he said, he used a great analogy. He said, you know, you paint a house green and you like it because you want it to be a green house. And then someone turns around and says, well, yeah, but I like blue houses. It should be a blue house. And that's basically what he was dealing with from the point of yeah. view of 
fans. Now, now some critical fans will disagree with that and they'll say, no, it wasn't about a greenhouse or a blue house. It was about whether or not the story made sense or it didn't make sense in, again, it's in their opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's one of these things, you know, where there are people that just couldn't get past midi chlorians or they couldn't get past Jar Binks or they couldn't get past the fact that God forbid George cast a little boy, a little boy to play the role right. of Anakin Skywalker. They wanted the dark brooding. They wanted Batman. Hmm. That's essentially what a lot of fans kind of wanted. The, the, the dark brooding Batman. That's what they wanted to have that story, but in with Anakin. And that's not the story that George wanted to tell, except for maybe into, into episode three. And he told the story he wanted to tell. And then, and then there was also the people that said, well, he never, he wasn't really good with actors. And even the actors themselves said, well, it's kind of hard. You're standing there in front of a, you know, green screen with a tennis ball and you're supposed to emote and react and do all this stuff. And yeah. you know, George is not giving you any, any information on what you can do, how you can do this. Just, just do it. It's right there. Just pretend it's there. You know, it's, that was, you know, faster, more intense. That was his uh, direction. <laughs> I think that George himself kind of said after this, after the, the 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 prequels that I think I'm done. You know, I think I'm done. And I and and he also said that I think that if there's anybody I would trust us to, it's Disney. I, I you know I don't believe anybody else has the resources to do it the way I feel it should be done. Now, where things go a little bit weird, and if we really want to. You know, there's a great the, uh, Bob Iger's autobiography that he that he wrote. Um, there's some great stuff in there about the whole sale of Lucasfilm. Yeah, and you know, part of what going on was you know there was some negotiation about the price. Basically, Iger said to Lucas, you know, Lucas wanted it to be more money, and Iger was going to offer him less. And he kind of said to Lucas, "I said, look." He was comparing it to Marvel. Lucas was comparing his purchase for selling of Lucasfilm to the sale of Marvel. Hmm. And, and Iger basically says, look, not only do you have, does Marvel have 5,000 characters already established, but it also, it has you know, like five or six movies, two or three that are like already in production and three or four at the time that were already getting made. So like it's, it was already that much in the works. So they weren't just paying for the rights and for the character ownership, but also for six or seven movies after coming off of, you know, Iron Man one and I think two, maybe Hulk and Captain, maybe even Captain America. Although I think that was part of the Disney thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so, so Iger said that, that, you know, look, Lucas, this is what, this is already, I'm buying more than just the names with Marvel. So, you know, Lucas turned that around, went away and penned three more movies, a thumbnail sketch of three more movies, and handed that to Iger. And, okay, that did up the value now. And Lucas had already been talking to Mark and Carrie and Harrison about returning for a new trilogy. So when that came into play, I believe those were all the things that kind of helped drive the the cost of what Disney paid, you know, dropped to, drove the cost up a little bit. Then fast forward to after the sale happens and they kind of throw out Lucas' ideas. Now, I don't know how much Lucas was fully booted. Like, did mm-hmm. he really just kick him out and lock the door and change the locks and not let him back in? I don't know. I think yeah. that, you know, he seems to be, he was on, he was on 
set for quite a few of the filming of things happening. Not that he was doing anything, he was just visiting. But, um, you know, so, so he was clearly not, not unwelcome. You know, he was clearly yeah. not, you know, so anyway, I think that, uh, at the end of the day, Lucas knew he didn't want to go through this whole thing again. He didn't want right. to, he, he didn't want to take another 10 years of his life when he was pushing his set, pushing into his seventies to do this, but he didn't want to see it die. Right. And, and I don't think, and I don't see Lucas as being a, a, a very greedy person. I mean, he yeah. puts so much of his money back into his company and into everything that he does. And he's pledged most of it to educational foundations and stuff when he's gone. So, and some of it when he's still alive. So, you know, I don't, it's not the same, you know, I don't see that yeah. in, like a Jeff Bezos type of thing, you know, where he's, you know, right. he's not launching himself into space for fun, you know? <laughs> which is ironic. You think you would, but yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting to, it's interesting to picture what Star Wars would have been like had he not sold. I, I mean, mean, I don't think there's a, a, a reality where that doesn't happen because of the reasons you just said. You know, he was just tired. He was just like, I I have nothing left to give. So it's either he sells or or he hires people to write for him. Yeah, like I, he I hires, say, hires ghostwriters. Or I think that, that there, we could have seen, I think it's very plausible, that we could have seen a, a, a very similar, kind of like a mirror, like an alternate universe version of what we already have. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I mean. He's already been working with, he'd already been working with Dave Filoni and yeah. Dave Filoni was at the foot of the masters. So he had worked very closely with Dave. He really liked working with Dave and he had already been together, uh, that 1313 or the underworld, uh, yes. series, right? Yeah. So they even did test footage of that. So I Which if you have not seen that, I have look it up. Uh, I, I was telling the, the people, listeners, uh, look it up. Try and find it. It is. It's actually very well done. I mean, I think I could. I mean, it's it's nothing it's like similar, what you see now. I feel it's got a similar vibe to uh, Obi Wan when he's. It does. Um, it gave me the feeling of if you ever watched the mid two thousands, mid to late two thousands, um, CW shows, anything off the Arrowverse. It's got that type of aesthetic to it. It reminds me. Of, I could see it going off being on CW. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Yeah. But he had that, he he had that going on. He made like 30 to 60 episodes of that Star Wars detours with Seth Green. So Mm -hmm. he had, you know, he had his hand kind of in the Star Wars world, but he was starting to kind of pass it on to other people. Hmm. And, and, and the other thing, and here's another funny connection. I remember there was some, something. It was some type of a of an oh, I think he won like an a Gene Siskel award. I'm pretty sure he asked John Favreau, a younger John Favreau, who was had I don't think he'd made Iron Man yet, was about to or something like that, but around that time, to kind of be the master of ceremonies or do some kind of interview with him. Hmm. And John was fascinated to do this. He was a huge Star Wars fan, but it was why was he picking me to do this? So obviously. Lucas had seen something in John Favreau. So there's an irony that. Yeah. And, and, oh, and let's not forget that he had put Kathleen Kennedy in charge. He was the one who put Kathleen Kennedy in charge, not Disney. No. That was, yeah. And Lucas. That for all, for all the people who are, you know, get down on, on, on Kathleen Kennedy all the time. And we talked about this, all the movies that she did even before that with the, uh, the other night, 
me and my wife went to a screening. The local there's a local um, uh, amphitheater uh, right by the lake, by our lake where we live, that does once a month during summer they do free they do free movies outside. Oh, that's and cool. they did the Goonies. And guess who an executive producer of the Goonies oh, was? Yeah. Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. Kathleen no, I, I saw that name come up I'm like, oh yeah, hey, Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, I, I, uh, we've talked about it enough. We've talked yeah, about yeah, it ad nauseum, but that's I know, something I, I will not, I will not sit back and just say, oh, you want to, you know, fine, fine. You want to talk trash, stick back Kathleen Kennedy, do it on another podcast. Okay. Do it on another channel. Just, just leave me out of it. Because right. Kathleen Kennedy is responsible for, or, is, or, or has her hand in. I won't say she's solely responsible. I mean, she'd be yeah. the first one to admit that this is a yeah, a yeah. Effort. And people, I don't think people understand what exactly an executive producer does. Yeah, it's not yeah. like they're the ones that are there directing everything, writing everything, pulling they're the strings. Like, yeah, you know, they don't do that. No, but in her case, she's responsible in some, at least in part, to the top. 25 movies of all time. Like Our childhood? Time. Yeah, and basically if you are in anywhere between the ages of 35 and 55, your childhood. You know, yes. Essentially. So forget it. Come on. Just get yeah. over yourself. You know, whatever. You, you can't sit there and when something happens that you don't like. Now look, if you want to have, if, if you want to have a, a discussion on the directorial styles of J.J. Abrams and why you think that he was a good or not good pick to direct two of the three sequel to Star Wars movies or about Ryan Johnson. Okay. You can have that conversation. Not because I agree with that, that assessment. If you don't, if you're not a fan of him or them, but because yeah, a director and especially someone who writes slash and directs, you know what I mean? Puts that out there. But I got to tell you, I think George would have probably sought out JJ Abrams. And I'll tell you why, because JJ Abrams was, a kid intern with Steven Spielberg. So I'm sure George was around there, you know, at some point. Now, the only thing now, would the story have been what we had, what we got for sequel trilogy? Probably not. Um, I think there was going to be more about grandchildren. Uh, I had heard something about microorganisms, something that was going to, like he had something, I guess he was talking about the whole midi-chlorian thing and he was going to like, tell a story that took place in the microverse, micro universe relating to, I don't know. They didn't, they never said make midi chlorians, but something about you're assuming yeah. talked about in the prequel. Children. So a lot of people were like, Oof, dodged a bullet with that. Although part of me thinks that there is an interesting story there that maybe through Disney plus. Yeah. So. But I think that's the other thing that, that has helped that you may not have had with, Lucas, because unless Lucas was able to do a thing where he's like have an ex- uh, exclusive Lucasfilm streaming service, you what you'd have had was what you had already, where you had you might have your cartoons, like you know if they, they just had come up with Rebels. Well, not just that, but I know, I'm just kidding. yeah, uh, Clone Wars, Clone Wars and Rebels. even if you would have had Rebels, you you might have that on Cartoon Network. You might have had a series on CW. You might have had a series over here, over here, over here. And it would have been like, whereas with Disney Plus, everything's in one place, so everyone knows. Oh, I just go to Disney Plus instead of figuring out. Okay, does my cable service have this? Okay, mm-hmm. no, I have to get this. Um, well, well, I remember always, even, 
he was also one uh, who predicted the whole streaming idea. Yeah. Although he he thought of it more in a in a hardware situation, like he imagined that everyone would have a box mm-hmm. in your house, and the box would be where all of your media was stored, right. and it would be something that would be kind of a subscription based thing, where you would have access to everything ever for like a monthly fee, every movie, yeah. every TV show, every everything. And he's not he didn't, he's not far off. Because, you know, we do it via streaming services or Apple Music or Amazon Music or whatever. You know, you pick up a, pick up a bunch of things that you subscribe to and then you have access to all these films. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think so. he did that. But no, I, I, I do think that we would have seen a very similar kind of thing with multiple properties. I think he would have eventually given it up, meaning handed the reins over to other people. Yeah. But I just feel like. He would have sold it to Disney sooner, one way or the other, sooner yeah. or later. Yeah, or maybe yeah. he would have willed it to Disney. Who knows? You know, <laughs> like yeah. Oh, because I mean, I know that I know that he talked about it with his children. I don't know if his children ever had an interest, or if he there might have also been like he wasn't going to let them. He wasn't going to bankroll them. Like he was going to yeah. say, "Look, you're you're on your own. You know the the money that I made is the money I made." And you you have to make your own. You know, I'll get yeah. you. You know, give you a kick to get started. But I think that's kind of what he said. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. So, and you also have to remember too, and we got to put this out there that you, you know George. I don't know if he'd be the one to say this or not. He does seem very humble, but there are so many people that are involved with all of the movies. I mean, I I have always felt like. In fact, I can't wait next in a, in a week or two. Uh, Light and Magic um, docu-series is coming up. Did mm. you see that? No, I have not. It's on going to be on Disney Plus, and I think it starts Ooh. 27th. It's kind of – they did a thing last last summer or maybe two summers ago called uh, the, the, the Imagineering Story. Yeah. And it was like a six-part thing. And what was great about it was that it was a six-part thing. It was not – you know, I, I you, these documentaries that come out, you got to hand it to Disney. They're not just telling – you know, the, the company line story. They're telling the real story with the nuts. They were sorry, with the bumps and the bruises along right. the way. They're not putting, painting themselves as always being right and always doing everything perfectly. Like they make mistakes and they, and they talk about it. So I'm very curious to see if they're now putting together an, uh, basically an, an industrial light magic docuseries, six part that's going to be airing on Disney plus. I am excited for this. There was some great, there's a trailer for it. You can look it up. And, uh, there's some great footage and some great interviews. And they have Lucas in there, present day Lucas, along with older archival Lucas. Yeah. But, um, there's so many amazing people, you know, like Dykstra and, and Bert and, you know, Ken Ralston and Joe Johnson. I mean, you know, Phil Tippett. I mean, these are just amazing artisans. Who all contributed? Marsha Lucas, although I don't know if she's going to be interviewed in that thing, but um, you know, Marsha Lucas deserved credit for an being for the editing. She got an she got yeah. an Oscar for it. So there's so many people that that really came into that. And then he goes on to the prequels, and the prequels you have you, you gotta gotta give it up for Doug Chang. I mean, my God, this guy who's still there, who's still creating, you know. So there's so much that goes into it, the the, the team end of it. 
that um, I just think that Lucas would have continued with this team, continued working with the team. So yeah, yeah, I mean that makes sense. I mean the question is, would it have had the same amount of success that I will that say it has under Disney? Well, I mean, I think that I don't think that Lucas. I mean, again, let let's talk Force Awakens versus Episode One, right? Uh, in terms of marketing, Force Awakens was incredible. It was absolutely incredible, and they and the, what they did and the whole unboxing, like twenty four hours of unboxing that they did. I don't know if you, you remember that. No. Okay. This was incredible. But essentially, and I, and you know, it's funny, they do a lot of these live things like on, on StarWars.com, they streams, and you can still see them, but for this one, they didn't really, they didn't really do it like, but basically, they didn't really do it all like nonstop. But for 24 hours, I believe, was when they had Force Friday, when the, when the, when all the merchandise was released. Yeah. They literally did a 24 hour marathon of unboxing, like every hour. And they went all over the world and they were talking from different, different, you know, influencers, different YouTube influencers from different countries. And they were unboxing, you know, everything from, you know, Good Morning America was part of it. And they unboxed that, that Sphero BB-8, little yeah. BB-8 thing. Um, somebody unboxed the, the Falcon that had the, you know, the big full-size Falcon with the little, you know, a Nerf gun part of it. Some people were unboxing Black Series figures. Some people were unboxing costumes. And there was all that material and they did it. So, yeah. The Force Awakens was a pretty intense um, marketing campaign oh, yeah. that was put to put on by Disney. But episode one, you and I were both around for that. Episode one was pretty intense. It was, yeah. it was, but it was, it seemed like it was a different, like, I, unlike you, I wasn't really into the toy aspect of it, the collector aspect of it. The one thing I remember that seemed different between, and I've talked about this before, episode one and Force Awakens was, I don't remember seeing the lines outside theaters like I did for episode one. Like, and maybe that was because of how the tickets were sold and how, how movies were presented and people went to movie theaters. I just remember seeing people camped out for two, I mean, sometimes a day before for episode one, having tents put up to sleep yeah. so they could get. I mean, I will say, I will say this. I was worried about that during episode one because, you know, I was a full fledged adult. I had a job. I had, I had yeah. you know, my life. And as much as I loved Star Wars and a collector and lover of Star Wars, I was not somebody who could afford to just skip work and right. get online. But then this wonderful thing called Fandango uh, came out, came around for episode one and episode, and all of a sudden I could just go on and I could get my tickets online and I could print them. And there we were. So yeah. I didn't have to do the line. I think the line thing, even for episode one, was more of just kind of getting into the spirit of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the only difference between Episode 1 and Force Awakens, in my opinion, was that by the time Force Awakens came around, everybody was ordering tickets online. Yeah. Whereas with Episode 1, it was more of a novelty thing to do, but people were doing it. But then they would yeah. go, th those who wanted to go wait online, they just kind of did it for fun. I don't think that the lack of line waiting because no. of Force Awakens had anything to do with the movie. I think that people were no. very excited about that. 
Yeah, yeah. It was just for me, it was like it was a cool thing for because, you know, I waited in line for opening night and opening night. I think I told the story of winning, winning, uh, winning tickets. Yes. At a radio for from a radio uh, uh, station. But it was just cool being there and being with all the all the people and just knowing that everyone was there for the same reason to watch Star Wars. And there wasn't that whole thing of they're wearing a Star Wars shirt. I wonder if they like Star Wars. Because nowadays, I mean, it's hard to tell because people just wear an out. It's like you know, it's like you see somebody with a New York New York Yankees hat. You're not, you know, there was a time when you could uh, you would thought like, oh, they're wearing a Yankees hat. They must be a Yankees fan. Hey, well I, now people. I've been wear, hanging out in Batu for a week. I I I see everybody's wearing a Star Wars shirt. So it's yeah, not, yeah. you know. But I, I, I mean, you, even today, you know, people just wear it because oh, it's it's nostalgia or it's a cool, you know. But yeah. at that point, you know, you knew that the people you were surrounded by were Star Wars fans. Right, right. Well, the only thing I would say about that, that you know, with the the way the marketing worked, is that um, I, I think they were similar for the time. Yeah. I think that there were um, certainly aspects of the newer trilogy different from the sequel or sequel trilogy different from the prequel trilogy related to the way social media worked. Related to the way the internet worked and, you know, the, the, the way, um, society worked with those components. So that's, uh, that's one thing that, that might have been different. Another big thing that was different though is this. I think, and I don't, and I'm going to say that I think if Lucas had directed another sequel trilogy, I think that there would have been a slightly Larger fan base created from it and a slightly larger um, amount of money made from it. And I'll hmm. tell you why. It has nothing to do with him being better than J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson or any of that. It had to do with one very simple thing. When Lucas put the movies out, put them out three years apart. Hmm. Whereas Disney, um, they put two, the movies two years apart and tried to put another movie in between them. Yeah, with with Rogue One and and then and then Solo, and I think Lucas would have stuck because he was again independent filmmaker, and even though he had this whole team working with him, he probably would have just kept it at three years because he had a, he would have written it, he would have written in multiple scripts, he would have done all that, then he would have done the pre production, then he would have done the movie, and then the post production, and it would have taken him three years. Well, that extra year, man, you're getting a whole new generation, so to speak. Yeah, of people to watch it. A whole new crew of little kids that are old enough to watch. A whole new crew of older kids that maybe didn't appreciate Star Wars at their youth, but now appreciate it. You know, those three years, that was a really smart thing. Now, I don't know how much was lost on that, having it be two years, because again, we as a society don't wait, don't like to wait. Like yeah, that. yeah. But I, I think that there might have been a slight edge when it comes to that, just because of the way you know, I mean, when you, when, you know, you know, the expression, you want it good, you want it fast, you want it cheap. You can't have, you can only have two of those. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't have all three because he did it in three years. It would have been a cheaper, it would have been less expensive to do. So even yeah. that would have made more money just from that, yeah. just from a fiscally responsible way of doing it. And, and, and his marketing, I, I do think that the, 
marketing from through, through Disney's marketing team is far more aggressive and they have a lot deeper pockets, yeah. but they do spend a lot more money. I mean, with the whole reason solo is considered a $400 million flop is because they had to basically make 70% of the movie over again and they had to do the marketing and they never count the marketing with how much, um, when movies, you know, or when talk, when they talk about how much it costs to make a movie, they don't talk about the marketing. The marketing is huge. It's a huge yeah. part of it. Plus, you know, that's, but then again, you know, Lucas, we would have only gotten three movies. We wouldn't have gotten five. I don't think we would have gotten the, the TV series. Maybe we get the TV series three years after the last movie. So maybe right now we would just be getting yeah. the next series. So I, but I do believe that he would have kept it going, but I think he would have passed it along to other people. Yeah. You know, slowly. I think Dave Filoni would have been in a very similar position that he is now. He might have mm-hmm. even directed one of the movies. Maybe. I mean, do you think that eventually that it would have been, you know, even though you, we are know by this point, you know, uh, Kathleen Kennedy was pretty much already guaranteed to be once Lucas stepped down, even if it had been sold, Kathleen Kennedy was going to be the next president of Lucasfilm. But do you yeah. think that as far as the creative direction, do you think that eventually if Lucas had not sold that, Baloney would have stepped into that George Lucas role as far as the creative mind behind I, Star Wars. I think Wars. he already was. I mean, I think he really already was. I mean, he created Ahsoka. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? So, so, uh, I mean, you know, Lucas had the idea of a Padawan for Anakin, but I think it was Dave who fleshed out that character. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I know he would have wanted to have other people direct. You know, I think part of the directing, him directing was, you know, because of the whole Director's Guild thing and everything. So, which is always interesting. That's a sidebar here. But, um, you know, the whole, you know, that whole bit, I don't know if you remember this story, but. I know, I heard something about it. Yeah. Lucas was, you know, he directed the first one and he got kind of not penalized, but they were, the, the Director's Guild gave him a hard time because the, uh, he didn't put the credits at the beginning. He just put Star Wars in the crawl. And that was it. And he put the other stuff at the end. And, you know, he, they, they gave, they, they were okay with it, but they told him, don't do that again. And then makes Empire Strikes Back and he does it again. And so they find him. And so, and they find Irving Kirshner, who was the director. And so Lucas paid Kirshner's fine, but then he dropped out of the director's guild after that. Basically said, F you. Um, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And that's what he did. And that's why ever since then, you know, episode, you know, Return of the Jedi, and then 20 years later, episodes one, two, and three, even though, you know, he hired Richard Marquand, who was not part of the director's guild, I think it was from England, and then he directed them themselves, and it didn't matter. But then he sold it, sold it to Disney, and J.J. Abrams, and Ryan Johnson, and then J.J. again, are directing seven, eight, nine, and got the same thing. Got Star Wars at the beginning, got the opening crawl, and then the credits are all at the end. So I don't know what changed. Well, I think by that time, by the time you have uh, seven, eight, nine come out, Star Wars was such a icon that to, to change anything, <laughs> what to not do it that way to change? Yeah, it, like it would have been like yeah, yeah. So even if the Directors Guild would have wanted to do anything, they couldn't because. That's such an iconic part of cinema history that to not have star, not to have that opening crawl like that at the beginning of Star Wars, 
I'm sorry, but that's that's what makes part of what makes it Star Wars is that. How funny is it though that people got so upset when we no longer were having the 20th century fanfare, which is now been back put back in thanks to Disney buying yes. 20th century Fox. Oh, and I know I think we we talked about this last last week, and I don't know if we talked about it off air or on air. But did you see Disney Plus is putting out the unedited original version of Star Wars? They announced, I saw a thing, they said they're going to be doing. I did not hear that. Yes. Are you sure? Uh, I mean, I saw something about that light and magic that they yeah, I, 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 I think I'm pretty sure. Um, I can. I'm, 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 do you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up now. I'm, I'm putting in Disney Plus. No, I don't see it. Huh. Original Star Wars footage used in new Disney Plus documentary. Oh. I think that's what it's. Oh, I thought I, I could have swore I saw something on like, like a, a Star Wars I mean, news. I mean, somebody put thing they, they should be on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I think it's only a matter of time. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, that was just a, that was a Lucas pet project yeah. himself anyway. And, uh, you know, I, but I'll be honest with you. I'll probably still watch the special edition. For one thing, I, I like most of the changes. I like having, even though I'm not a big fan of digital Jabba, I like having Jabba in the movie. I like having Boba Fett in the movie, even if it's just for a brief thing. And I like having, um, the, uh, updated effects at the end. And I like the Wampa extended thing. And I like seeing Bespin. Even like the, I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I, I don't know about the Jedi rocks piece. I mean, I don't mind it, but, uh, in Return of the Jedi, but I like the bigger band, but I'm a band guy. So you want, so I'm a music person. Hmm. Anyway. Well, I um, just, and speaking of which, I just found, uh, this article. And it um, says J.J. Abrams has been told unaltered version of the original Star Wars trilogy will never be released. Okay. So I don't know what that means. Maybe it's and, a, you know, hey, maybe Lucas had put put a little clause in the contract. Maybe he just said no. I don't want. I you know we released it one time on that laser. You know that. Well, laser but then was- Screen Rant puts Disney releases original unedited trilogy footage for first time. Oh, footage. footage. Uh, 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 take. Footage. There the it is. Thing. Footage. Gotta read. Don't just read the headline. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know what? That's that is clickbait. If I ever heard one. Oh yeah. You know. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh. <gasps> even I was like, what? They're showing the original unedited footage, unedited movie. But nope, just footage. I mean, I you know got me. There are video got files. Me. There are video files of people out there that have like. Every single version. I mean, I do enjoy that. I do enjoy, but I'm not, you know, and you look, hey, big Star Wars collector. That's what I do. But I'm not the person who has every version of Star Wars on every version of media that you can have it on and all different versions of that media. You know what I mean? I just, I can't do that. And there are people that are very into that. I get that. And I get it. Um, you know, I mean, they're not just talking about big changes. I mean, they're talking about how audio mixes are different. And I do notice that sometimes. I do notice, like, you know, my goodness, they've gone through, you know, Obi Wan's uh, great dragon call like five different times, and they've done five different things. So, 
anyway, uh, as far as, uh, but no, I, I, you know, I, I do feel that in order for anything to thrive, I mean, let's continue the story. Let's say Lucas didn't sell. Okay. Yeah. Let's say he did it. Yes. I do believe he would have continued to make it. I think he would have gotten bitter about it though. I think he would have got, he was already bitter about it. He was bitter about the, you know, dealing with fans that yeah. were never satisfied. He was dealing about it, people that were making money off of hating on the prequel. I could guarantee you that. Oh. All right. I and, think that's what, if, if he did eventually retire or sell, I think that might have been what drove him was if well, he it's what around, drove him as it is. Yeah. It's what drove him. It just, it, you know, my alternate universe in my head shows him going a little while longer and maybe doing another trilogy and then backing off again. And then we'd be in the same boat. Because in order for it to thrive, it needs I mean people to get people like, oh now we have Star Wars by committee. In order for things like this to thrive, it needs to be nurtured by many different people. There are many of people who have gotten of different you know, different ages, different races, different sexes, different everything that have been inspired from for one reason or another by Star Wars. Yeah. And we are seeing that renaissance of these different people, the Deborah Chows, the Bryce Dallas Howards, the the J.J. Abrams, the Ryan Johnsons, the Dave Filoni's, the John Favreau's. They're all coming out now, and they're all making new Star Wars. And I do think that, that if it's going to – if in order for it to thrive, it has to get away from the hands of the maker and mm-hmm. be kind of out there for everyone. Now, having said that, you do have to run, be careful. Not that one thing. I'll say one thing. Lucas never took it. Lucas never, I, he got accused of cash grabbing with the Ewoks, yeah. which I never thought was fair. I think all he did was, you know, he wanted to have Wookiees and Wookiees were too sophisticated by the time, you know, to, we'd gone to Return of the Jedi and he didn't want that. He wanted a primitive culture to help fight the Empire for the yeah. for the big epic battle. And it couldn't be Wookiees. So he made him short, gave him short fur instead of long fur, and he ended up looking like teddy bears. And oh yeah, I think he designs very toetic toyetic toys, vehicles, and characters. Okay, but I don't think he puts them in a story to sell toys. I don't think he yeah. ever really did that. You might disagree, some other people might disagree, fine. But that's not my thought. That's not my right. belief. Right. I do think from, you know, when you, when you run, when a corporation starts to put, you know, put together movies, there is the danger, especially when you deal in this day and age that, you know, designs might come into play that are there to sell toys. I mean, let's right. face it. We, we have a whole fan base of GI Joe and Transformers and He-Man. That were solely created, pretty much. Maybe not GI Joe as much, but the other two solely created, at least in this country, to sell toys. You know, and and um, <clears throat> we've we've fallen into that kind of a thing. And again, there's there's a nostalgic love for those too. I'm not taking that away from it. I'm just saying that um, that's the one fear that we have to be careful of. And yeah. Lucas never really did that. You know, he took it very seriously. Everything he did, he Believed in the designers and uh, so much so, in fact, that many of them are still working for Lucasfilm. So mm-hmm. a lot of the success we're seeing, the thing, the bot, the, the most positives, the most uplifting, 
you know, things that get the ba- the best fan reactions are coming yeah. from a lot of people that work directly with Lucas, uh, that Lucas yeah. brought on. So I think we're still feeling the effects of Lucas. Even yeah. Oh, definitely, like, definitely. You know. So. Uh, well, I think this is a really fun, to, uh, fun little discussion. And next week, I believe you are going to give us a report from Batu of how state things. Of the, we're going to state, state of the, the galaxy. Gal- State, state of the Galaxy address. Yeah, State of the Galaxy's edge. <laughs> so just to talk about how things are, uh, how things look, how things are, uh, feeling. And you know, now that it's been, uh, a few years that, uh, Galaxy's Edge, Batu, Black Spire Outpost has been open, I want to talk about my observations. I would like another, uh, week to do some research. Okay. And, and get out there and, uh, and, uh, just, you know, kind of, Explore some more, and right. I'll, be, I'll be back to report it to report back, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, with that being said, Will, why don't you tell people out there where they can find you at? Okay. Well, as I was as I was saying, I'm down here in uh, on you know Batu East, uh, but the best place to find me is on YouTube, uh, Darth Tuba Star Wars Unboxing Show, which you can just do a search for Darth Tuba and it should come up. And you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Darth Tuba. Darth Tuba Star Wars Unboxing page on Facebook. You can email me at DarthTuba77 at gmail.com or leave comments on any of my videos if you want to reach out to me. All right. As for us, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at War of the Stars at War of the Stars 1 at gmail.com. Uh, that is also our Twitter handle. Go to there at War of the Stars 1. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Just search War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast for the Facebook group. We are a proud member, of course, of the Red 5 Network, red5network.com. You heard the little thing at the beginning of the show. Uh, check out all the great shows there. And again, if you're in the Chicago area uh, at the end of the month, uh, check out ScarifCon if you can see some of the guys there that are part of the Red 5 Network. Say hi. Tell them how much you appreciate the show. Or just go on the on the Red Five Twitter page and tell them there how much you enjoy the shows. If you want to support the show, patreon.com forward slash war of the stars. Uh, or you can click the support button on our anchor page. Go to anchor.fm forward slash war of the stars. Or you can buy the cool merch that we have here. Uh, go to spreadshirt.com forward slash shop and then just search war of the stars there uh that's the best way to do it so uh, once again as we always say this is not just my star wars <laughs> this is not just your star wars this is our star wars till next time may the force be with you till the spire everyone